Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good morning. How are you today? Welcome to ES First. If you would, be welcome. We are starting a new series here. We preach through books of the Bible mostly. We do that so that we don't just pick and choose what we want to hear all the time. We go through stuff and sometimes that stuff is hard to hear. Sometimes it's like stuff in the Bible that we have to make sense of. And rather than just pick what we think we want to hear for the day, we get to, to uh, eat what's on our plate, so to speak. And sometimes that stuff is Brussels sprouts. Bless you if you like Brussels sprouts. Um, for those of us that don't, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you have to eat it because your parents are like, it's good for you. And you don't know that it's good for you until one day you go to the doctor and they're like, you should eat more Brussels sprouts. And like, my mom said that. So the Bible's kind of that way. We eat things that are sometimes difficult. We don't like to tell you they taste all the time, but they are nourishing to our body and our soul. So that's one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible. And the other reason is that we want you, it's, it's, you put effort in to come to church and to, to be a part of God's word. You can look back and go, I remember going through that whole entire book of the Bible. I remember when Brandon preached. That. I remember when pastor preached that. I remember when we talked about Hebrews. And so you become a person who is a man or woman of the word. And that word, the Bible says, will not return void. It has to come up and it has to bear fruit in your life. So that's why we do it. So we're beginning the book of John. Last year, after COVID, we dove into James, and James is a short and sweet book. John is not a short and sweet book. It is a very deep and long book, and we're going to be preaching it from many different angles. I hope that you enjoy it. I got some people on deck to preach some different aspects of it, and it's going to be great. Are you ready? Uh, You can open the book of John. We're going to take the first five verses But before we go, I want to tell you that John is um, one of the Gospels. The Gospel is the good news about Jesus. And so the four Gospels in the Bible are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are four different perspectives of the same happening. This is a lot kind of like your news stations. Something can happen, and there could be four different opinions about what happened. The thing is, those are all opinions, and this is actually true. Those that love news stations, I'm sorry, turn the news off and love your neighbor. The Gospels are four perspectives written from kind of each disciple, and they are looking at things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John are the the synoptic Gospels. They have the same kind of view. They tell kind of the same story. It starts in the beginning, and they tell the story of Jesus. John is very unique from the other three. It's not one of the synoptic gospels, which means to see the same way or to be synonymous. It is basically John looking into the fact that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and presenting that information. The interesting thing about it is that John lived the longest. All the other disciples were killed and martyred for their faith. And John lived to a very old age. So we actually have about five books in the Bible that are authored by John, as theologians would think. So they're John, the Gospel of John, Revelation, and these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are very short letters. And so John wrote these. Like I said, he was very old. He was the oldest disciple. As a matter of fact, he lived past 90 AD. And I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But John's perspective is very unique because he's telling factual information about Jesus. But what he is trying to get is not so much what Jesus did as much as who Jesus 
was. And so we look in the Gospel of John, what we today are going to find out, I mean, in these days, as we study, not just today, because I only got five verses, but what you're going to find out is who Jesus was and not so much about what he did, even though that's included. Who he was is more important because there's lots of people who did great things, who did wonderful signs, miracles, wonders, but they were not essentially the son of God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, even though he was doing things that other prophets did, he was preaching message that other preachers did, other rabbis did, even though he was doing wonderful things, there is something that's so unique about him. And as we look at it, what we're going to find is that our lives have to change if we are going to be Jesus followers. We're not just Christians. We're not just people who sing a song and, and know the right pledge to the Christian flag and have our Bible that our auntie gave us and went to VBS one day. But we're actually people who believe with our hearts, in our souls, with every fiber of our being, that Jesus is who he said he was. And that means that we are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And that means we live different. That means we act different. And that means we live with a different power than the rest of the world because Jesus is that life changing. That's my introduction to the book of John. Let's start with John 1 verse 1. Are you ready? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know that it's valuable and effective in our lives. We know that it digs to places that are deep inside of us that we probably don't want anybody to find out about. We just wish that we could get away from things that we struggle with, internal battles that we fight, it seemed like we're all alone. Your word hits those places. And it doesn't just give discipline, it gives life and light to the darkest places that keep us in anxiety and depression, that keep us wondering and regret, keep us in condemnation, and they bring freedom like never before. I've prayed that my friends in this room and me, as we look into this, would see things from a different perspective. We would see you the way that you want to be seen in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of John starts off with this line in the beginning. Uh, it is interesting that John writes this way after Jesus' actual life because people had already heard about Jesus, people known about Jesus. He was living in a Jewish community. He had, you know, it was half Jewish, half Greek, what we call uh, Gentiles. Anybody who's not Jewish, it's, it's a different way of thought. It's, it includes Rome. It includes all of the modern world, the greatest empire. Roman empire reached from Rome all the way up as high as the UK and over to Iran and Iraq and into what we would call India, like a massive place of the modern culture. And John has lived among all these people and he's speaking to Jews. And he says, in the beginning, which that would be like us saying four score and seven years ago, right? The minute I say that, you know that I'm quoting Abraham Lincoln four score and seven years ago. We get the context. And so here's John. He's writing in the middle of a country that's not Jewish, but he's writing to Jewish people. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, if we remember at the very beginning of the Bible, we have these words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And John robs from this idea. In a lot of ways, it's almost like a, how dare you, John? That you would take our holy scripture, you'd take Genesis, the beginning of all things, the in the beginning was this being, God, who's so spectacular, and you're going to write about this little Jewish guy? This little Jewish guy, born in Nazareth, born a poor man, Sea of Galilee, who came and tried to overthrow our religion. John, you're going to write about that? He says, yeah, in the beginning was the word. Now, for us, we look at the word and we're like, oh yeah, cool, it's, it's the word. But the word here is loaded language. He starts off with a statement from the Jews, in the beginning, just like your book starts, was God. But here, in the beginning was the word. For us, it's word. For them, it's logos. L-O-G-O-S. And that word is so loaded because all of society is wrapped up in this particular idea. Where do we come from? How do we get here? How do we know everything holds together? How is everything happening? The cosmos are swirling around us. And back then, they would look up in the stars, not the Jews, but the Greeks would look in the stars, and they would see the Milky Way, and that would be like, the Milky Way galaxy was like God's holy land. Like, out there is something in the Milky Way galaxy that holding all of us together. And, and later we found out that it goes way farther than that, that God is way bigger than we ever thought possible. And he says, in the beginning was the logos. For the Greeks, it was this idea of logic. Logos, logic. It's their thought. This is where Socrates, Plato, all the Greeks begin to talk about where they came from. We have people saying things like, I think and therefore I am. I know that I exist because I'm, I have things firing inside my brain. I have a will and I have emotions. They're, they're questioning everything. And so they call that the logic. It is the ultimate reason that happens inside their head. And so all these people sitting around in their little togas, after they got back from their frat parties, are all sitting around thinking about, where do we come from? Where do we come from? How do we get here? And so in one statement, he is making a call to the Jews and he's making a call to the Greeks, even though it's a Jewish book. He says, in the beginning was the logos, the thought, the ultimate reason. And to the Jews, he says, in the beginning was the word. For them, everything was created by the word of God. They had a hard time understanding how Jesus could be the son of God because they don't really like the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this idea. Even though multiple times in the Old Testament, and I wouldn't say multiple, I say way more than multiple, we see the angel of the Lord. We see that God is existing. And they believed in this dualism of God, that he was God and he was spirit, but they didn't subscribe to this Jesus character being a part of that. Okay? They did, however, think that God was so powerful and mighty, they would often refer to another part of God that was not God, but indeed was something that was attached to him. It was the word. In Proverbs, we have this idea of wisdom where they actually personify wisdom. And Solomon begins to talk about how the wisdom of God, but he talks about it not just like in smarts, like my son is smart, he has wisdom. He begins to talk about how the wisdom of God created and does things and has emotions and will and action and purpose. And then they also talk about the word. I wanna show you both of those things real quick. And so in Psalm, this is what happens. In Psalms 33, it says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unplain love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. 
He gathers the waters and the seas into jars. He puts them deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He's beginning to talk about the word of the Lord. Why is the word of the Lord so powerful? It's just sayings. It's just breath and formations. And if you study languages in different countries, it's just how we ascribe meaning. But when God speaks the word, it's not just meaning that comes out of his mouth. It's life. It's life. And so in Proverbs, he's going to talk about wisdom. And he says this in Proverbs 8, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight and I have power. This is wisdom talking. I have insight and I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern, the nobles, all who rule the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Are you starting to see this? He's not talking about wisdom. He's talking about Jesus. At the very beginning, when the world came to be, When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place. Before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields of any of the dust of earth. I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries so the water would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. I rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. And this for hundreds of thousands of years, the Jews were thinking that this was just the wisdom of God. It was just the word of the Lord. But when Solomon wrote this in his wisdom book, he was prophetically speaking from God about the savior of all mankind, Jesus. So when John opens up in the first two lines of his book, in the beginning was the word. Listen to me. I'm robbing your words to tell you the truth about your life. In the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. We just read in Proverbs how it talks about the wisdom of the Lord. I was always there. I was always by his side when he created. In the beginning was the word was with God and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Now listen to this. Through him, all things were made. That's what Proverbs just said in eight. He is coming for anybody who thinks that they know God and telling them to switch their idea, a weird kind of out there mysticism to a person of Jesus Christ has been made in him. Now it's not just the word in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So he starts off in the beginning. That's eternity. That's way before anything existed. 
eternity. In the beginning, because we go to Genesis, it's in the beginning. It's way before. That these things existed, that God had a plan for you, that he was designing life. And everybody always goes, yes, I'm thinking about the logic that created the stars. And I'm Greek and I don't know anything about God, but I know that there's something. Over here we go, we know that there's something and I've been serving him with my whole life. I've followed all the law. I've went to tabernacle and synagogue and I've had these times where I was connecting with God in the way my parents taught me. I remember the Red Sea. I remember the story, uh, Joshua crossing over into the promised land. I know that we're here now because God has been faithful to us and he takes both people who are religious and unreligious and walks them into this place, goes, you have to believe in Jesus. And the whole purpose John is writing, he tells us at the very end of the book. It's in John chapter 20. This is what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Jesus did so much that we can't even talk about it all. In another place, he says, there's not enough books in the whole world that could fill up all that Jesus did in 33 years. That's what he says in his book. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is not just a person, not just a good teacher, but he is the Messiah, the person who will save us, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Another place in John 10, 10, Jesus actually says, I have come so that you can have life and life overflowing more abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask, to, running over life to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you and Jesus wants for me. And so when John writes, he says, I've written these things so that you can have the life that Jesus talked about. I realize it's deep. I realize this is my favorite book. And you're like, what is Brandon talking about? He's been thinking about this for 40 years. We're just starting today. And that's the beauty of the gospel of John is that you can wade in it or you can go out and catch sharks in it. It's deep. It's shallow. And every time you come back to it and begin to think about Jesus and begin to let him do a work in you as you let the word of God wash over your heart and mind, it will transform you. So he starts off with eternity. He's like, I was before everything. And then he takes another step and he goes, now everything, not from God, everything has been made from Jesus. Now that's big. That's big to think about. We just go, yeah, Jesus made everything. We learned that in Sunday school or little kids know a friend of mine had their kids were, were hanging out in the hot tub at a hotel and these guys come over and go, Hey, we have a dog and you have a pet. And they go, no, we don't have a pet. And it's like, yeah, cool. Well, what are you guys doing? It's like, well, we're going to be missionaries to, I forget where the Czechoslovakia area missionaries to Czechoslovakia. And uh, the kids are like, what's a missionary? And they go, well, we go love people and we tell them about Jesus. And they go, who's Jesus? These kids. And these kids go, well, he made everything. (laughs) He made us. And he loves us, and he can change your life. They begin witnessing to these kids in the hot tub. And that's kind of the way we are. We go, you know, well, Jesus, right? I come to church, and I pray, and I give, and I sing, and, and you know, I read a verse every day, and Jesus changed my life. Isn't it so great, right? It's like having a contact high, right? And that's how many of us handle Jesus. Well, I'll come to church and get my hit. I'll take the edge off. I'll have, you know, something to help get me through, Right? 
And then you get hooked on Jesus a little bit, and then you need Sunday, and then you need Wednesday. You know, Wednesday night Bible study. And you're like, well, I need my midweek pick-me-up, right? And then I need my women's Bible study. I'm just so missing it because what's happening is you can exist and not really change your life and not be all that different. Just kind of take a hit of Jesus and just like, well, you know, he changes lives. Not mine, but other people's I've heard. My life is getting better, but I don't really notice any change. Everything I used to do, but you know, I I still have some things that I do. But Jesus came to set us free. But, you know, that's just a different perspective. It depends on who you are. We have this idea that everything affects everyone differently. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life. What kind of life? And if you take Jesus and you just chalk him up to a little person who comes and lives in your heart and gets you to heaven, then you're missing out on the real life of fully believing who Jesus is and what he can do and what he has done and his purpose for your life. So when, when John says, hey, look, everything was made by Jesus. I have to really process that. Because there's non-believers that believe in crazy, crazy things that are actually possible more than you do. I heard somebody talking about artificial intelligence. How what we're, ta- we're talked about, this is kind of weird, but uh, how what we're talked about what we're told about artificial intelligence as robots, for those that don't know, okay? That in places like Russia and these other places, like they're developing robots that are pretty much humans without souls. And here in our Jesus world, we're like, well, I don't know if Jesus can do that. And there's some little guy with, you know, gray hair and a lab coat. <laughs> like, I can make a robot. They can do all, the, you know. Like, that's possible? Yes, it's possible! You mean a soul could be set free forever? Yeah. You mean I can live my life with complete joy? Yeah. And you won't believe God to save your neighbor. So the question is, do you know this Jesus? Are you believing in a Jesus who breathed the cosmos? I was there from the beginning. I know. I know how your body works. You're believing healing for healing for something like diabetes or high blood pressure. I know how every structure is formed inside of your body. I breathe them out of my mouth. You're believing for your life to somehow be okay for the last part of your life. You know, you only have so many days left, so many years. You're counting down. When God breathed your days into existence, when he spoke, the sun started moving. Planets started circling and orbiting. And these are very big things, but he knows the way your emotions work. Somebody told me yesterday, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. Misery follows you everywhere, but God knows every emotion you have. He knows your triggers. He knows the things you're disappointed about. He knows the things that didn't work out the way you wanted to. And I think our view of God is so shrunk down. And in four verses, John is trying to tell us God is bigger than you think. He's trying to tell the philosophers and the the logical people. He's trying to find the religious people. He's saying, in the beginning, trust me, Jesus was there and in him was life. (sighs) Breathes and it goes forward and everything happens and your body is regenerating cells and, and your blood is pumping through every part of your body and it circles back and it finds places in your heart and you keep eating all that fried chicken, which tastes so good, but it's clogging up your arteries and God knows exactly how that happens. 
Jesus created everything. He's in everything. He knows everything. He is everything. And then he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all humanity. And we're going to see these two words, life and light, kind of flip back. And I want you to remember this the whole time we read this, that life equals light and that light equals life. And if your life is not existing in the light of God, you are not experiencing all that God has for you. He wants the light of God in your life. And he says, everything that exists is in him. He is a part of everything. And there's this light. If you would believe in him, your life could be different. That you would believe he's the Messiah, that he came to save, to restore, and to take you to a place of his intention. And most of the time we're sitting back, is this all that life has to offer? Is this all my life will be? Is this all there is? Have I bought into a lie? And he's saying, no, Jesus is life and he brings light and it will show you more about your life and your future and your children and your legacy. It will show you more about what you can do today that will make an impact for all the rest of eternity if we become people who realize that in him is life and that life is the light everyone you come in contact with. And this is the conflict. In him was light and that light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. It's the conflict happened in Genesis and anybody, when you hear in the beginning and it takes you back to Genesis, where's God. Okay. And now we got this word and, and I'm thinking about all the things that God is and I'm in a moment and it doesn't take very long to read Genesis to read that everything falls apart with the decisions to people. Everything falls apart. Because God trusted humanity with their own free will. Because God trusted their decision to love him in return, to choose him, to adore him, to walk in him, to live in him. And they chose something other. They chose the lie and humanity was broken and darkness covered the earth. Chaos. And there is two things that are at work in everyone's life. Light and darkness. Light and darkness. And he wants you to know right off the top, no matter how this story goes, no matter what you believe about Jesus and his death, he's saying that Jesus rose from the, the dead. We saw him. We saw his miracles. We were close to him. We knew him. And it is the truth. And he says, light came down and shined in the darkness. There's no way that darkness could even overcome the light of God. It's that powerful in your life. Another version says this, that light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. So it's twofold. One is this, that when the light shines in the darkness, there's no way that it can overtake the light of God. It doesn't take long. Turn off all the lights in here in the middle of the night. It's very dark. You think it's dark during worship. It's dark when there's nothing. There used to be pews in here. They didn't move. Okay. We used to have oak altars. Big wooden heavy things up here. It was like concrete and oak form. And the lights for the sanctuary used to be in this corner. Which means that when your dad is the pastor, and at the end of a long day of preaching, two services or whatever else, he says, son, would you go turn the lights off? In the middle of the night, you go from there with the lights on back here. And you turn the lights off. 
And then it is a game of stinking hopscotch, try not to kill your shins between here and there. You're like, Jesus, just, you don't know whether it is. It's, it may be better to just close your eyes and pray the whole way and let the spirit guide you. You know what I mean? I've had plenty of injuries right here in this zone, hitting pews and altars and everything else because the darkness can't see your face. When we're in Belize, we're in, uh, we all had these headlamps and helmets and we're going through these caves and they're showing us stalactites and stalagmites and all these things and, and these beautiful scenery. And we go to these places deep in these caves and he goes, now everybody turn off your lights. And so we all turn off our headlamps. And am I saying it was a little freaky? Water was deep. We're on a little raft. Sarah's kicking me in the head because we're all tied together. He's like, just put your hand in front of your face. And you couldn't see anything. And I had a reference for the sanctuary because I could think about how everything was laid out. I, even though I was in darkness, I could kind of figure it out. But in a place where I had no solutions... I had no familiarity. My life got a little scary. And here John is trying to tell us, look, there's darkness. And the world is dying with their hand in front of their face. And even if you're far from Jesus, but you know Jesus, maybe you're not as close as you need to be. Maybe, kind of maybe you just come to church and you, you take that little Jesus hit and you drive home and it wears off. Maybe it is dark for you, but you at least have some sense of how to get around what was there before and how to get back to it and where the light might be, but in a place where you have no familiarity, is that even though the world exists in darkness, when you turn on the light of Jesus, darkness can't overcome it. It overcomes darkness. The other side of that is that, unfortunately, people in darkness can't comprehend a Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, who died and came back to life? <laughs> Are you kidding me? This guy, I mean, do we even know he even existed? I mean, what's, what's going on? I mean, it's, it's so, so mystical. How is that different than the Easter Bunny? How is that different from Santa Claus? How, I mean, this mythological story about Jesus. And John is telling you and I and whoever will listen, if you can at least look through this book, I am trying to show you that Jesus was real and that he is not just a man, but he is the son of God. And he will bring you the life that you need to have to make it through the darkest times of your life. Every single day will be dark or be light based on your choice to follow Jesus. So my pledge to you and to me is to tell you the story of Jesus, that your life will be different, that no matter what happens around you, that you would see things from a different hue, from a different glow. Instead of always seeing the darkness, to see the light of God. John is known as the disciple who Jesus loved. In this book, he doesn't actually say, me, John. He talks about John the Baptist, but he keeps talking about the one who Jesus loved, the one who Jesus loved. As a matter of fact, in one of those stories, Peter, you know, kind of makes a, a call on John. He's like, they're always kind of fighting back and forth in some funny places where where John begins to tell the story about how dumb and stupid Peter was sometimes, you know. And he's like, yeah, of course John's telling that because John knows himself as the one who Jesus loved. In one place, Peter and everybody's talking about who will die and who will live or whatever. And Jesus says, if I want John to live until I come back, what's that to you? And if I was like a disciple, if me, me and Josh were hanging out with Jesus and Jesus says something about like that about me, I'd be like, yeah, Josh, <laughs> 
You know what I mean? I would just rub it in. And this is what John is doing. And, but, but what happens is, is everybody else dies for the faith, but nobody can kill John. As a matter of fact, he is being tortured. There's a legend about John being dropped in hot oil to be killed. And they pull him back up and he's still alive. But we don't really know if that's absolutely true. We don't have like historical record that it's just a legend. But we do know that he's persecuted to the point that they couldn't kill him. So they finally just go, you know what? There's this island out there. It's called Patmos. We're just going to put you out there. That's your prison for the rest of your life. And so they go put him out there and it's like 90 AD or something like that. And this is where he writes the book of Revelation. One of the most popular books of the whole entire Bible. Everybody knows Genesis and everybody knows Revelation, no matter if they know Jesus or not. And so because of John's wealth of experience, he begins to write things down that bless us today. I want to tell you a little bit about when John wrote the book, the gospel of John, in his context. Because you see, Jesus died in 33 AD. Okay, Rome is ruling the Mediterranean and they're doing all this stuff. And the Hebrews are actually very upset. If you remember, the Hebrews wanted Jesus to be crucified. And the Romans were like, I'm not going to kill him. And the Hebrews were like, yes, you are going to kill him. He disrespected our religious laws. And they said, if you don't kill him, there's going to be a riot. Because of that, then Pontius Pilate goes, okay. And he kills Jesus on a cross, even though he found him not guilty. He said, I find no fault in the guy. He crucifies him on a cross and the Jews are so excited. But what happens is, is this explosion because Jesus comes back and whether they believed it or not, everybody believes they've seen Jesus. Up to 500 people are telling about Jesus being alive for 40 days. And they go to, to Jerusalem and they wait in the upper room and they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come down and great things happen. 3,000 people become saved on the same day, not because of a beautiful sermon, but because the power of God is alive in their life, life-changing things. And it spreads like wildfire. And so one by one, Jews start killing people like Stephen. They start killing, martyring is what it is. He goes, do you believe in Jesus? And they would kill him. All of the disciples killed, apostles killed, even Paul. He goes around and does missionary journeys, but eventually he gets back to Rome and he is slaughtered there for his faith. But John still exists. And along in the middle there, we have this guy named Nero. Now, when I was, when I was younger, you know how things go in cycles. Like my mom was in the hippie age, uh, although she was never a hippie. Well, maybe she was. Maybe that's where I get my hippiness. In the 90s, hippies became popular again. Remember that? Yeah, we also got like John Lennon glasses. Eventually, we brought bell bottoms back, which I hear are back again. Right? It'd be like, ew, bell bottoms. My brother's like, I hated the 60s and the 70s or whatever. We started listening to old music and all this stuff. But it was really popular to wear a peace sign necklace. Instead, my dad is like, dude, I got to get a peace sign necklace. And my dad goes, no, you can never wear that. I was like, what? what's wrong with peace, bro? I didn't call him bro, because I got whipped for that. Me and my son say bro to each other all the time, and I realized one day, I was like, my dad would have knocked me in the teeth for that. So what's wrong with peace? He said, that's an upside-down broken cross. I was like, that's not an upside-down broken cross. This is peace, man. John Lennon, we need this today. War's over. He says, no. He begins to tell me, it's like, that's the cross of Nero. That's the sign they used when they killed Christians. And so I began to know about Nero in a long, in, at an early age. And even though I still used to draw peace sign tattoos on my arm and be rebellious and all that stuff, I'm not against the peace sign. I had a very awareness of what was going on in those days. Because what happened is Nero became the emperor after Agrippa. And long about, he was 17 years old and he started to get a big head. And there's big fires in Rome. And they have a question maybe that he started them on his own. 
you know, Nero did that. But what he did is he blamed the fires on Christians. So they're trying to burn down our cities. Kill the Christians, which would just seem like, okay, that's too bad. But Nero went to the extreme. What happened is actually he would chase down Christians. And he said, if you find a Christian, bring them to us. And he would have his parties, extravagant lifestyles. And we're talking about decadence that would make Las Vegas and New York and Los Angeles and everywhere else that we think is so wild, Dubai or whatever. He's like, they would make them look ridiculous in Roman ages. We're talking about orgies and, and animal sacrifice and all sorts of things that would just be so crazy. He said, we need to make sure that our parties are well lit. Bring me a Christian. And they would take Christians and put them on poles, run them through while they're still alive and light them on fire so that while they're having a party, they have light to see. This is Nero. It was probably 20 years after Jesus died and rose again that Nero came to power. And this is going on. Hebrews are trying to kill Christians for following after Jesus. Nero is slaughtering Christians and spreading the hate of anyone who follows after Jesus. But yet Christianity keeps growing and keeps growing. You think it would just be like, you know what? It's too much. You know, communion, uh, grape juice and crackers is not that important to me. You know, I know I had a little baptism. I was there and they, they dunked me in or I came back up, but it's not worth dying over. You know, Jesus, I, I know the stories my mom told me. She was there, but I mean, how is he any different? How is he? He's special. I think I'll move on. John lived through all of that. And when he wrote the Gospel of John, it's one of the last books written in the Bible. Probably after 70 AD, scholars seem to think it was maybe between 80 and 95 AD, which puts it 60 years after Jesus. Think about this. 60 years ago, what was God? I asked mom, how long ago was 60 years of that? For that 60, 61? Like, yeah. She'd been like, and I asked her how old she was because I know she's my mother. I can't tell you that she was 39 then. Just kidding. She's 39 now. <laughs> 60 years ago, what's going on? Who was president? Civil rights movement. Martin Luther King. JFK era. No internet. Air travel. Train travel. Car travel. What was it like? Think about how the world has changed so much in 60 years. And we're talking about Jesus dies in 33. Christians are being slaughtered for 60 years. And John begins to sit down and pen the book, the Gospel of John. He said, I just want to write this book so that you would hear the stories of Jesus in a unique way, that you would know what we have seen and experienced. It is so powerful that people are being slaughtered, burned alive, killed for the faith for 60 years. Things are changing now. We're becoming a modern society, he's saying. But I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to know that even though times seem dark and there's, there's some tough places in your life and he could probably go through and name the people who their spouses were killed, his friends who were slaughtered in the street. I imagine he knew some people were strung up on a stick and lit on fire. I imagine he could experience every emotion about Jesus and his life and, and where he is and how he's being persecuted. He's like, I know Jesus, there's nothing. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And he's writing to you so that you would know that he is the light 
of all mankind. He's the light of your life. There's nothing you're going through that's too hard for God. That Jesus comes to give you life and life more abundantly. That he wants to give you the life you've always dreamed of. That it could be full of purpose and passion, free from hurt and addiction and misery. But it be given to the light of all mankind. And this is the supply that God has for you, the Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of the world. So when you're walking through, whether it's the darkest areas or the places you know, but you're still in the darkness, would you say, I, I, I just could use some light. I just need a light. I know my life is different now, but I could just use some light. I know my heart is racing at night and I can't sleep so well, but I could just use some light. I know I'm fearful about what's going to happen, but I could just use some light. I know things seem so different than what they were and what I'm used to, but I could just use some light. John is saying, from the beginning of humanity, before the foundations of the earth, before everything went wrong, before the darkness seemed to, to crowd your heart and life, there is a light. That light is the life of your humanity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We come from all walks of life, different places, different backgrounds which means we all have different scenarios now. We all have different things that are happening around us. That every day we have this question, do I live in darkness? Am I experiencing the light of heaven? Who came from sitting beside Jesus, sitting beside God, Jesus sitting beside God, he came from that place to find you, to bring you, real life. I'm going to pray with you before I do that. I want to give you the opportunity to become a Jesus follower. Not just a Christian. Christian is actually a derogatory term. People invented to make fun of people who look like Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves devoted friends of the Savior of the world. Followers. Followers. Being a Jesus follower doesn't mean that you're just your sins are forgiven and that's it. And you're on your way to heaven, even though that's included. It means that your life is different. You choose to follow after this guy who has saved you, restored you, redeemed you, and brought you into a relationship with the person who made you, the ever-living God. It's a simple prayer. It's not spectacular, but it will change your life if you mean it today. We just pray it like this. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. So we're going to pray that today. Everybody can pray it together. You don't have to be called out. But if you mean it with your life, it'll be different from today forward. 
You can stop living in the past regret. And you can move forward into where God has for you because when you follow him, he leads you. He leads you into the life that he has planned for you. So let's just pray it. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Let's pray again. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. One last time. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. I believe that's the beginning of a life where you are going to experience God in a new way. And I want to pray for all of us before we go. And if you're here and you say, Brandon, I... I I'm intrigued by this. I'm I'm compelled. I'm drawn to this idea that Jesus is bigger than I thought. That his purpose is bigger than just a Sunday morning, that it's my life. And I never thought about all the things in my life that are broken that God could be an answer to because he's the light in my darkness. You say, Brandon, pray for me that God will reveal himself in a greater way. My life would be different that I would grow in new ways. You just raise your hand and I'll just pray for you today. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you, Lord. My friends who are compelled and drawn to you, God, in a greater way. I pray, Lord, that you would transform their life, their heart, their mind to see you. Speak to them in new ways. Give them new dreams and visions. Help them to see simple things like flowers differently because of you. That butterflies fly differently because of you. The clouds and the stars move differently and they experience you, their children and their laughter and their drive and the way they work are drawing you closer to them. We know that there's nothing too difficult for you. Help us to see signs and wonders because of the light of life in our life. Heal broken things, restore the things that are divides in, that we forget you and embrace a dark life. But Jesus, you came to be the light of our life. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.